When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Fix with me, Jamie Holm. Delighted to be back after a week off where I spent far too much money at Centre Parks with the family. Phil was off buying himself Dejan Lovren shirts in Croatia and Keith was working on his tan in Salou. But we're now able to be back and talking about proper competitive football. So tonight... Our agenda is action-packed, to be honest, Gav uh, nearly killed us when we <laughs> when we told him how much we we're going to try and get through. But we are going to try and cover our centre-backs, the impact that they have on the team, our squad depth, the much-maligned Naby Keita and his role within the squad, and whether the media are writing off Liverpool this season. And joining me to discuss all of that and probably a little bit more, we have Phil, Gav and Keith. First things first, Ke- Phil, Keith, how was your holiday, lads? Good to have you back. Ah, oh, great! Yeah, Liverpool great. shirts yeah. up in. Has that got Lovren on the back there, Phil? On the uh, on no. the back of the Liverpool shirt? Nah, that's a it's bit gone. before Lovren's time. But I tried to get a Lovren jersey when I was in Croatia. You would have thought it'd be handy enough on one of the the stalls, one of the knockoff jerseys. But they didn't have any. Did Modric, Perisic, Lavakovic, Rebic? I asked for Lovren, and the woman in the stall said she could get me one, but she never did. Oh. Nightmare, devastating for you, Keith. Yes. I, I commented yeah. on your tan before we uh, before we came on air, mate. You're looking fantastic. Feeling fantastic, I have to say. Uh, good to get away to the sun for a while. To get away from away from Dublin. Um, yeah, it was great. It was weird, surreal getting out of the country, wearing masks. I don't know what uh, Croatia was like, Phil, but a lot of mask wearing in Spain. Um, took a bit of getting used to in the heat, but enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah, they don't really wear. Gav. They don't wear them in Croatia. No, it's not going in for all that. Carry on. Love it. I've been here covering for Keith. Um, I told the lads on the show last night, you didn't even put in a request for him for holiday. He just pissed <laughs> off on Sunday <laughs> and said, listen, I'll be back when I'm back. Go fuck yourself. Fair enough. You know that way. Um, <coughs> no, um, no, nothing's happened. Just Liverpool are back and um, well, we're all walking hard. That's about it. There's nothing else happening. Played nine holes of golf um, on Monday morning. Good, good. I took I took three and a half weeks away from me, um, and it worked. That's all I'll say. I'm not giving anything else away. Golf makes no sense though. Like it makes, it makes no sense, sense to me. Like, yeah, you, you know, you can go through the first nine, and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm getting this. And then the next time, it's like hmm. it's the first time I've ever played golf. That's why I went home after nine. It's like Andy always says to me, golf. You only have a lend of of golf. You don't have it all the time. You only have a lend of it, and he's dead right because one week you're great and one week. There's no point in having the clubs in your hand. You might as well be going around with a hole. You know, that's all the way. So it's just one of those. But um, no, back that three and a half weeks out, but back with the golf. So that's all good. Now, most importantly, Gav, away from the golf, mm. it has to be said, how good was the first weekend of Premier League football? It was some entertainment, not just Liverpool specific now, across the board. It felt like we had proper football back for the first time in a long time. 
It was brilliant, I have to say. You know, um, you know, Brentford were up first against Arsenal, who we'll get on to later, thank God. And, <laughs> you know, um, the quality of the game was good, but I think the whole, you know, the, even the presentation, I don't watch a lot of Sky before and after games, so they don't do what for me. But I kind of made the effort to kind of sit down about 20 to 8 or whatever, 20 minutes before, you know, just to see what the buzz was like. I think, I, fortunately enough, I think I missed Martin Tyler doing an interview, which was great. Um, but like the buzz around the place and Brentford being in the Premier League back, the stadium's only a year old, you know, they were real underdogs to get a boost with um, Lacazette and Aubameyang being out and, and they, were, they were good value for their win and it was great to see, you know, like literally grown men in tears at the end of the game, first time you've ever seen Brentford in top flight and and, and that was that was kick-started it. Then, you know, Bielsa turned up and forgot to play a midfield at Old Trafford and United you know, destroyed them. And then Liverpool turned up later on that evening and um, just went about their business, which, do you know what? A 3 0 when you go about your business on the first day of the season, I think is much better than a 5 or 6 0 romp. That sounds a bit stupid, but sometimes a 5 or 6 0 romp can be a bit the other team are just diabolical. Whereas Norwich tried to do what Norwich do, and Liverpool just never never come out of neutral for me and, and won the game, which was, which was really good to see. Phil, you played a little bit of catch up and you were watching the game uh, back earlier today. What were your thoughts of of Liverpool? Before we dive into, I suppose, some of the main talking points off the back of the game and, and, and obviously the, the impact that will have moving forward, what were your main thoughts on, on the match? Well, obviously great to see Van Dijk back. Um, I think people are questioning how long will it take before he gets back to full fitness. But the beauty of Van Dijk being the Rolls Royces of a centre half, he can play in second and third gear. He doesn't have to, he's not a combative central midfielder that if you have a cruciate injury and you're coming back from it, you know, you, you mightn't be full blooded going into tackles. Van Dijk tends to play in the armchair a lot because he's just that good. So it was just great to see him in there pinging a few balls out to the wing. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold looked on it from the start. Simicas started well got forward a few times, his delivery was good, but then just faded as the, the game went down and gave the ball away a few times. And I, the only thing, I, the encouraging thing was you could see he was annoyed with himself, which shows that he actually cares. It's not like some players that just give the ball away and they almost are indifferent to it. He, he'd be working on it the next time, but ultimately it looks like Andy Robertson's coming back a lot quicker than we thought. Um, Jota was quiet, he took his goal well, but he had a little spell in the second half where he went out on the left and he kind of came to life a bit, but then he took, Klopp took him off for Firmino, but plenty to be positive about. Um, I know we're going to get on to Keita later on. I thought he was, he went about his business very well. Um, I think when it comes to him, people have really high expectations because of the price tag, but this is his fourth season and we're still waiting. So I can see why people will judge him differently. And I know we'll get into more detail later on. But all in all, pretty good performance. And um, nice that Alisson kept the, the clean sheet as well. Keith, one of the, the other things that's come out of the, I suppose, not just the Liverpool game, just football in general this weekend is tackling is now back. You're allowed to tackle people again. And we don't have silly people drawing silly lines on the pitch and telling us a toenail is offside. I mean, it the game felt a lot less disrupted and it certainly felt like contact didn't equal fouls or penalties. Yeah, it's one of the big things that's annoyed me over the last uh, year I saw with the VAR thing was you know, it became a situation where every contact was deemed a foul. And that's not the case, you know what I mean? Like, you, you can make contact without fouling someone. So it got to a stage where players knew 
well, he's at the touch and all me. If I go down here, VAR will check this, it's going to be a penalty. And it became a bit of a joke. Um, I seen Matt had a comment on the screen there. It's good to see the PGMOL sort of getting their shit together. And in a way, yeah, it is. But I don't want to give them any credit either because I felt they were the ones hampering it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... The, other leagues weren't as bad. I'd watch other leagues. And while they're not perfect, the Premier League was way worse than them with VAR. The, all decisions were taking too long. The the lines were coming up. Everything was just a shit show. So, yeah, it's good. The one thing I do hope for with it is that it's consistent and it's continued through the season and it's not something that gets changed sort of three or four weeks into the season and there's a contentious one and they start sort of panicking and cacking themselves. I hope they hold, hold firm on it and hold strong and continue to officiate it the way it was because, you know... The Brentford against Arsenal first game back promoted side you know we play the promoted side you don't want to play them it's you know first game there's a, a bit of a buzz especially when it's at their place and fans back in the stadium you know it makes a huge difference and the fact that VAR and decisions stupid decisions weren't slowing it down it did feel like real football again it felt like proper football again we said it during the Euros as well you know that it felt like proper football well, the Premiership is the bread and butter. Do you know, I, I don't like international football. I'm not, I've never made it. <laughs> you know, I've never been shy about saying that. The Premier League is where it's at. And to get the fans back, and if we see that consistency from referees going forward, it's going to be a great season. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and not to harp too much <coughs> on about referees, but one thing I found was a massive positive is that Michael Oliver um, and Mike Dean fronted up on Sky ahead of the kickoff of the first weekend and we're, and we're answering questions and creating dialogue. And I, and I think that's yeah. important if this is to continue. It's not faceless people making decisions um, in hidden away places. People are fronting up and trying to explain decisions rightly or wrongly, but there definitely has to be those lines of communication. So I thought that was a real positive. Now, I want to dive into a couple of the talking points to come off the back of the, of the game at the weekend. And the first one is our centre-backs. Now, it's obvious for people to say, uh, you know, obviously we've got two world-class centre-backs back and it's going to have an impact. But I think it was really telling in how we approached the game and how the game panned out, just how much of an impact that they have. And Gav, I'll come to you first because there's one fella that often gets overlooked Obviously, you know, a lot of fans will gravitate towards Virgil van Dijk and understandably so, in my opinion, he's the best centre-back in the world. But Joel Matip, I have to say, the guy the guy is a freak, right? He'll get himself injured for a large period of times and then he just strolls back in without any care in the world and puts in showstopper performances, then disappears again whenever he performs we, he seems to perform at a really high level. And you look at the graphic on the screen, I think we've lost uh, one of the last 39 games where Joel Matip has started. I mean, as the tweet says on the screen, surely that is the definition of underrated. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, does he? No, but he doesn't get it because he's not reliable enough. It's simple as that. <coughs> if Joel Matip was more reliable, he'd be quite rightly put up there as one of the, I think, in the probably in the top four centre-halves in the league without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and I'm probably being a bit generous to other centre-halves by saying top four. But, you know, I think he, he averages... Somebody said he averages about 12 or 13 games a season. I, I think it's a bit higher than that. I think it's about 20 wow. games a season since he's been at Liverpool, which is not good enough. You know, it's, and, and he's brilliant. Like, just watch him. He, like, we like we got on to Van Dijk later, and Van Dijk is just, you know, he's 
he's unbelievable. But when you watch matchup and what he does, you know, when he comes into the club, you're thinking, is he a bit gangly? Does he have the pace? Is he strong enough? Because he doesn't look the biggest unit, you know, and you're thinking the Premier League is a bit rough and tumble. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's physical. People are going to get in your way. Um, and they're going to, they're going to try to put you off by using their body a lot more than they might do, you know, in Europe and stuff like that. But when you watch him play, he played against Bill Bell last week and Inaki Williams tried to run him down the, the left-hand side of the Kemlin Road, right? And he just brushed this fella. And this fella is a big lad. He's a big fella. He brushed him aside at the corner of the cop, took the ball and didn't give away a corner, didn't give away a free, didn't get entangled in anything. He literally just leaned on this fella, took the ball off and strolled back out up from the cop end with it. And, you kind of, and that's what you see from Matt. He reads the ball game well. He's actually really good with his feet. If you if you let him run, he, he'll make you 40, 50 yards up the pitch, no problem. And I thought he was impeccable at the weekend. Like, in, I can't remember a, a, a foot wrong. I, I really can't. I think he was, I think he was that good at the weekend, you know. Um, and, your only wish for Joe Matip, like, we can talk about his attributes and stuff, I think it's all there. The only thing with Joe Matip is, um, he's it, just, it's just his reliability. It really is. And, and if his reliability was up, if you told me Joe Matip is going to play 30 league games this season, Liverpool win the title at a canter. I, I think the thing for Matip is, is positional awareness. And like you said, he doesn't look like a footballer. He looks like he's the type of fella. You know, it's not, he's not, not a scrap of muscle on him, but his elbows will just get into you. He's just awkward. You know, his go-go gadget legs just seem to get himself, you know, away from, from trouble. And I always remember one time where I really stood up and thought, Jesus, I don't give him half the credit he deserves is when he got stood up by Son. Uh, he was playing away at uh, Tottenham's new stadium. It's not White Hart Lane, now is it? Um, and and basically, he got in a running race with Son down the left-hand channel. And this is Matip coming back into the side after three, four months out. And he went toe-to-toe, stepped away, brushed him off, and then walked out with the ball. And as you said, I think the biggest challenge for Matip is, is keeping him fit. Phil, were you surprised that Matip got, got the nod, given the fact that we've obviously brought in Kanate, uh, you know, for such a, a big fee? Were you surprised that Matip got the nod? I probably was. But then if you actually think about it, maybe it isn't that big a surprise because Klopp is looking at him going, he's available, he's fully fit play him because if you play him you know what you're going to get and I think the, the first three balls that went up towards towards him he won every all headers and he obviously came close to scoring as well so is Klopp thinking when you have him fit you play him because let's be honest there's a fair chance he's not going to be fit for most of the season so when you have the chance why not play him is it a case now that there's more options in central defence the problem with Matip was he could never string a run of games together if there was Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday or midweek games. But now that there is cover there and there's more, more options, you know, you can you don't have to play him as much. But you know that he could be two weeks out of the team and he comes back in and he'll just pick it up where he left off. So he's a great option. If you got 20 games out of him, I think that would be a, a good return. And, and when I say 20 games, you're talking 20 games where he's fully fit. And last season, obviously, because there was such a reliance on central defenders, it was almost inevitable that he was going to break down because it was just too much workload for him. And that's what happened. Keith, I want to come to you on his centre-back partner, 
Um, and I think it's you know it's, it, it feels a cop out sometimes to talk about how good Virgil Van Dijk is, and and obviously he's a he's a dominant centre back. He's pacey. He doesn't necessarily look like he's lost much of that pace. And even if he if he did, I don't think it'd be a major issue, uh, just because he's he's so good. One of the things that I wanted to highlight, um, and I want to uh, shout out Sam Maguire and the team at Twenty Three for this, because uh, I had a, sh- a chat with Sam, um, particularly around Virgil Van Dijk's distribution. Because this was something that was spoken about a little bit last season uh, in terms of when Liverpool were going through their struggles offensively, the fact that it was easy for teams to camp in and we didn't really have that variety in, in passing range. And but basically what I want to look at here is the fact that when Virgil van Dijk is back in this Liverpool team, and it was very noticeable, I thought, at the weekend, when teams are looking to, to pen us in, uh, you know, teams are, are, are ultimately sort of struggling to, to build a little bit. Virgil van Dijk, and you can see from the graphic on the screen, the range of his passing, not only short, but more importantly, long, where he can clip it over presses. Uh, you know, he can ping balls into to the forward's feet. It's such a, an offensive asset. I'd argue to say it's actually one of our biggest assets is in the fact that he can hit a 60-yard ball to somebody's feet and get us on the attack straight away. Yeah, well, I don't know if it was yourself, Jamie, through a compilation in the WhatsApp group earlier, a two-minute video of uh, Van Dijk's passing range. And when you look at it, it's it's outrageous. And the likes of Sam Allardyce and other people have called Liverpool a long ball team. And they play on the fact that Van Dijk hits long balls. But these are long diags 60 yards into the feet or into the run of a winger setting up attacks you know it's it's not a hoof over the top or anything like that he's so intelligent with his passing and his distribution it's absolutely amazing and that i don't think will be affected i think the injury the only thing that will probably take a while to get back with virgil is going to be that sort of sharpness of committing into tackles i think he might just back off a little bit and you know instead of going over and cleaning someone i'm not fouling them you know just going over and using his body and checking across i think he might just give himself a yard in case they get a run on him but that'll come back sean you keep saying it on shows acls are not what they used to be players come back from them they recover a lot quicker and a lot easier um so i would i would expect him to get back to his level but even if he doesn't get that yard of pace back he's got everything else you know there's the, the passing, the intelligence, the the composure, like everything where we can talk and talk about him. But to see him back, it's one of the biggest uh, pluses because it changes. We've said it before many a time. Last season when we had these the lads playing and we had be a Fabinho plus, you know, uh, Reese Williams or whoever it was, it was going to affect the play because I still say, and I'll stand up with this, I think Fabinho was a fine centre-back playing alongside another centre-back, not when he's the lead centre-back playing alongside some kids. And to get Van Dijk in there, and we touched on Matip, and we've not mentioned Konate yet, but Konate is the exact same ilk. He likes to pass the ball diagonally over the top, uh, and it changes. Joe Gomez, you know, the four centre-backs we have now, when they're all fit, are so complementary to each other, and whatever ones you go with, it's a nice little mix. But to have that distribution that Van Dijk gives you, it, it is like a new outlet because last season we said Thiago comes in and, you know, if teams suss out that we're going to go to the fullbacks, we'll go through the middle with Thiago. And we didn't see any of that because we weren't going to get into the fullbacks because Van Dijk isn't there to hit the passes. And Thiago was playing deeper than he probably wanted to play or than we intended to play him. And it was just a case of putting a plaster over too many cracks, you know. And 
this season in one game, and it's only one game, it's only Norwich, you know, no disrespect to them, Delia Smith, all that, loved them. <laughs> to see him back and doing his, you know, doing his thing, I was delighted to see it because it, it's going to make us so much harder. We say all the time, it pushes us further up the pitch, 10 yards further up the pitch, puts the fullbacks 20 yards further up the pitch, 30 yards further up the pitch even, and it just creates so many more... Um, not options for us, but so many more questions to answer for the defenders, the opposition team, and that's what we need. We were too, um, too, I wouldn't say pedestrian, but we were too easy to read last year. You know, the fullbacks were getting and they were doing them silly little clip passes into the box, and that's because they were getting the ball deeper. Do you know what I mean? They weren't getting the the ball over the top. Look at the <laughs> look at the highlights of Van Dijk's passes. Look at how many go into Robinson Robertson's feet down the left-hand side, you know what I mean, on the run, highest player up the pitch. These sort of balls will make air attack even better. So it's great to have them back. It's great to have a lot of our bodies back and a great start to the season. But Van Dijk, you know, I can't say much more about him because I, I agree, I think he's the best centre-back in the world. I will be ridiculous and say I think he's possibly the best centre-back we've ever had. And that's after one or two seasons. I just... I, I, I think he's redefining. I think he's redefining a position, Keith. I I, I yeah. agree with you. Um, and if you pull up, I think there's a passing network of of Van Dyke. Because a couple of people in the chat have made a point, and I'm glad that they did. They said that I think Jeremiah up on the screen at the moment has said Van Dyke is basically Cruz at centre back. I think somebody else before had said that he's basically a, a playmaker playing at centre back. But when you look at this again, uh, thanks to Sam for for sending it in, you look at Van Dyke at left centre back. Look at everything that's stemming from him. It's not just necessarily long balls, but he's key to everything that we do. So uh, this is where, and and Gav, I'll come to you on this. It kind of irks me a little bit because I think people have kind of tried to couple Diaz as good as he is as a defender in with Virgil Van Dijk as you know he's a he's the the leader in in terms of centre backs in European and world football. I think this is what separates Virgil Van Dijk. You know, not aside from being a defender, this guy can do pretty much everything in possession of the football and is so key to everything that Liverpool do, not only defensively, but more importantly, o- offensively, as the graphic shows. Yeah, Diaz is, not, Diaz is not the same planet as him. It's as simple as that. He might be a good defender, but Virgil is everything else on top of it. You know, the one thing, that if you're watching Norwich at the weekend, you know, I think Liverpool are brave with the way that Cantwell is, for me, is the most dangerous player. And they decided to be brave against him and push Trent up and be, use Trent as the out ball. So Cantwell just spent the day jogging up, running up and down after Trent. And the reason for that is because when, when Liverpool don't play Van Dijk, and this is, no, this is not a slight on, on a Gomez or, or whoever else played there last season because it was mad. But when they don't have Van Dijk there, one, you think he can press us more because Van Dijk isn't there. But because he's not there... The second reason you can press us is because you don't fear that ball he can hit. You know, Joe Gomez isn't going to take the ball over his feet like Virgil van Dijk will or on or, or as regularly and hit those balls that can hurt you and hurt you badly. And I made the point the other night, he's not hitting it to a forward. He's giving it to his right back who then has all the forward players in front of him to work with. That's how dangerous it is. It's actually more dangerous that it's going to a fullback than it is a forward. That might sound stupid, but the fullback is getting it. 30 yards from your goal with all those forwards to work with and that's where Van Dijk stands out from everybody else the, the way to pass how he chooses them sometimes he's very basic give it to Robertson get it back 
Give it to Gomez or whoever, get it back. Give it to Allison and get it back. Give it to the centre midfield and get it back. But then he just opens his body up and and it, it's very rare. You Gav, find if you, if you, sorry, mate, if you pull up, actually, we've got an example from the Norwich game, which shows perfectly what you what you're talking about. Because yeah. if you look at in in the example, you'll see where the Norwich players Van Dijk has the ball and they've basically tried to cut off the supply to the midfield mm-hmm. and to Simicras on the left. And yeah. you can see Van Dijk's just about to receive the ball. If you move on to the next graphic, it basically looks at Van Dijk and he says, "All right, well, you cut off those passing lanes. I'll just ping a sixty yard ball into yeah. Mo Salah's feet." And you yeah. can see now we've beat the press you've got three uh three well two of the attackers and one attacking midfielder or i think that might actually be trent uh trying to join mo yeah. in the attack and automatically liverpool are away i think it was arteta actually that famously said after an arsenal game you can have all the plans in your world but when van dyke's knocking 60 yard balls into people's feet it's very difficult to plan for yeah because ghost says it there arteta said it best when describing that vvd what vvd does and that that, that instance there that we've seen um you know what you've seen there is, is a Norwich team trying to press, right? Or press a fullback and then it's given to Van Dijk and he has he has the attributes, he has the ability to hitch it. Now he's given it to Salah in that case, but look who's right beside him. Trent is literally 10 yards off him, ready to pounce. Whereas if, if Norwich sit back right, or, or drop off, Van Dijk can still do it, but he's given it to his fullback in that position with all those players ahead of him to walk with. He, he's No one's close to him. And and if you're a Man City fan or a United fan or whoever, and you're sitting there trying to tell yourself that George Centre half is anywhere near Virgil van Dijk, you're fucking lying to yourself. And stop it, right? Um, your ma wouldn't like it, and you shouldn't be doing it. Because he's genuinely... <laughs> I love Gav on the cans, he's great, he's, isn't he? He's, he's, he's <laughs> unbelievable at what he does. And it's not even what he does, it's the fact that he's there. You know, I'm, I guarantee a Liverpool fans, 3,000 and whatever, Grizz was there the other day, are going into Norwich, and I can tell you they're up. They ha- like it's it's a big day because we're all back in football and fans in ground. But there's no way you you can't tell me that you're bouncing in there going and Van Dijk is back on top of everything that's going on and Van Dijk is back. So you're bouncing in there going I've no doubts about this game and that's what he brings to you. He brings very little doubt even when Liverpool are under pressure now and going back to the last three years or wherever he's been with the club. You you don't shit yourself. You don't run behind the sofa when Liverpool are a goal up with five minutes to go. You just go, he'll deal with it. He, he'll actually deal with it and we'll probably score again. That's how good he is. He's, he's he's a phenomenal player. And to have him back, to see him doing 20 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes and then um, 90 at the weekend, it's literally like, we're not betting this fella in. He's back and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I think it was earlier on. Uh, it was earlier on, Phil. You'd mentioned Naby Keita, and I want to come to to Naby Keita to you. Uh, first of all, I suppose, what do you make of his performance? Because it's it's been been strange for me reading some of the stuff online. In that, I, I don't I don't know why. Probably it is because of his price tag, and and as you said before, you know, he became with such high expectations in terms of the type of player he was at, at Leipzig. Um, but it's been a strange response, I think, to what was, albeit a, a pretty solid performance. Um, and we're going to look at some stats in a moment that, that support that. But, you know, from from trust in the eyes, what did you make of his performance at the weekend? Yeah, I mean, in possession, he was neat and tidy. Maybe he wasn't penetrating as much as you'd want to see. Um, that was one of his signature things when when he signed from, from Leipzig, that he would take the ball in midfield and he'd glide through and, and cut through. We've seen him do it a bit, but... I think as well when he played with Leipzig, he would have played in a four-two-three-one a lot, and maybe there was thoughts that that could be a formation that Klopp would use, and he could use Kater for it was a formation he used with Dortmund. So he played obviously as one of the eights the other day, but 
you know, it's the first game of the season. And again, Kadok falls into that category of you have to let him build up a bit of rhythm. He needs game time. I don't know, out of, out of the four of us here, does anyone see Kata as a regular if the full team is available? I'm not sure if he's going to be part of that midfield three, but if he's fit and available, he's a, he's a player that is very handy to have. Now, I, I think the disappointment, obviously, is that he hasn't hit the heights that everyone expected, and the real sour point then was the first half against Real Madrid in the Champions League, where it was a big call that Klopp made to put him in, and he was taken off before halftime, which said it all about his performance. He just couldn't get near, near, couldn't get up to the pace of the game, and he was just chasing shadows. The other day, I just thought he kept it quite simple, didn't try anything elaborate, but I thought his pressing was good. I thought, you know, he, he threw his body in there a few times, uh, dispossessed a few times, he, as in he dispossessed Norwich players. So, you know, I, I, it, it was one of those seven out of ten performances, nothing spectacular, but he didn't do anything wrong. Gav, actually, if you pull up the the graphic in terms of um, the, the areas that Liverpool look to press, and I'll come to you on this, Keith, because I think you said it before when talking about Van Dijk. One of the things that surprised me when I looked a little bit into the numbers b- b- behind the game is I thought that Liverpool, with Van Dijk in the team, with the fact that we can we can maybe squeeze a little bit higher, I thought we'd be able to press from the front a little bit more. But if you look at the graphic, it actually looks at where Liverpool engaged Norwich. So where did they try to win the ball back? And it was very much in Naby Keita's zone and I think he was uh, he was the number one in terms of the interceptions or, or winning the ball back for us in, in the team. Are people being a little bit uh, over the top in terms of the criticism that's coming his way? Because I thought looking at it, trusting the eyes, you know, it looked like quite a dare I say, a Ginny Wijnaldum-type performance where structurally I thought he was a lot sounder than the likes of the Real Madrid game that Phil rightly references where there was gaps everywhere in and around him. I thought he covered space very well. I thought he won the ball back and just used the ball well, which, to be honest, in a Liverpool system has been something that Klopp has been very focused on, particularly if you look at the likes of Ginny Wijnaldum and and the role that he played for us. Yeah, nail on the head there, Jamie. Um... You know, Gini Ronaldo wasn't brought in as a sort of a metronomic number five type of player. When we got him off Newcastle, he was an attacking midfielder. He was um, sort of a number 10 type of player. And, you know, Klopp didn't see him like that. And I think Naby, not that Naby has to change his game, but I think the changes, like, personally, I thought he was very good at the weekend because of the way he played, that, you know... Keita is too in and out of games, you know, he, he'll do something nice, the pressing is the key, the high press that he does where he nicks the ball off a centre-back or a defensive midfielder and he sets us on a quick break, that's the, that's the strongest part of his game. The fact he was doing everything a bit simpler, a bit deeper, I thought, you know, was I think it was too, too instruction and I think that's how Klopp will use him a bit more now this season. I think he's a good player, He's the frustrating thing for me with Naby Keita is he doesn't have that sort of standout moment or standout run that you can look at and say, yeah. We spoke about Joe Matip earlier. We said it on the show a few weeks ago. Joe Matip is a weird player in that he can miss 12 weeks and come in halfway through the first half of the game due to an injury to someone else. And he can hit the ground running like he's never been away and can put in man-of-the-match performances. Naby Keita, unfortunately, doesn't do that. When he comes in, he, a lot of the stuff gets unseen. So maybe it is time to slightly change Naby's, Naby's sort of play. Moving back 10 yards, 
get them on the ball and just move things a bit quicker, a bit um, simpler. You know, don't try and force it. Just simple passing if you have to cover the the channels where the fullbacks are going forward and be a bit more like Genie. And maybe that's what he needs to, to establish himself. Phil said there, we don't see him in, in the first choice midfield. No. And if we sign a midfield player, which we don't know if that's going to happen, but if we do, it pushes Naby for that down. But if Naby is fit, and he's someone we can rely on. He's an excellent option in there because he's different to what we have. He's, you know, if, if we get ever get the Naby Keita that we talked about getting, that we see in Follow Leipzig, brilliant. We probably aren't going to get that Naby now at this stage. But if we get a Naby that can perform the role of Genie Wijnaldum, which a lot of people didn't like, by the way, you know, a lot of people were anti Genie's role, and it's only when he's gone that you appreciate how good he was. I think he that got a, a, a four, Keith, in his first yeah. game uh, in the in the paper or whatever that. it was. Yeah, he got a, a rating of a four in terms yeah, of what he did. They're, and they're, and they're notoriously um, harsh with their with their with their ratings, aren't they? Um, yeah, the but then they showed it. They showed all the stats, didn't they? Like his ninety some percent ball passing accuracy and yeah. all his jewels were won. And probably similar to Nabby's from the weekend. And this is the thing, you know, you, and this is from a, from a team sport perspective, you need players like that. Recycle the ball, particularly in midfield. And it depends on how the game flows. Because sometimes, I always say this on, on podcasts, manage football games in 10-minute blocks. And sometimes you need to take the sting out of a match. Maybe Norwich are getting up ahead of steam. And Nabby just recycles the ball. Or one thing that I think he does very well, and look, I'm not trying to be his biggest fan because I'm, I'm certainly I'm certainly not that. I think he, he hasn't justified the price tag yet, but he has this ability to kind of slink, like slink or sort yeah. of wheedle his way out of difficult situations. And he's kind of like press proof, which is such an asset to, to have in midfield. But one thing I want to come to you on, Gab, because it's kind of a, 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 an evolution of the conversation around Naby Keita. Mm. Um, it kind of comes into squad depth because this is something weirdly that, that has come up quite a lot um uh, particularly from pundits fans um you know there's been a lot of mud kind of thrown towards liverpool in terms of their squad depth um and if you look at the start in 11 that we had at the weekend and the players that we we had on the bench you know, you think the likes we have the likes of hendo we have tiago we have robo all to come back into this team um, if you look at the starting midfield, we have Cater, Oxley, Chamberlain, Milner. That's arguably three. Are you know we're missing our three starters? You would say in in Henderson and Jones, yeah, and, and and Curtis Jones. So we're missing a lot of players there. Yet we're still able to put in that type of performance. Do you think the questions that are being thrown at this squad, and in particular around the squad depth, is more around availability, not quality? Because it seems like, certainly from my own perspective. This seems, in terms of quality, it's the it's the deepest that that I've known in my lifetime as a fan. Um, yeah, it's it's a deep it's a deep ish squad. It's a deep ish squad. Um, <clears throat> but you're you're calling out net like like on Naby Keita. You have to when you're talking about Naby Keita, you have to talk about him with a bit of caution all the time. You know, simply because of the the track record he has with regards to to um injuries and, and stuff like that. But but having said that, there is more players around him that have the same. You know, Henderson is starting to for me pick up a bit of an injury record. Um Fabinho it's overplayed a little bit but he has had injuries. Thiago, how many full seasons has he played in the last five years? I don't know. Um I'm I'm I don't read that stuff. I read other stuff. Um but it's a deep-ish squad, Jamie. 
but you see, th- the big thing for me on this is that people are worried after seeing what happened last season. It's actually hit them really, really hard. The scars run deep, you know, that sort of way. So we're waiting on one or two to go, and then you think, here we go again. But the squad depth for me, I think defensively we're good. I, st- I still think we're a player short up front because there's no point in talking about Divock Origi for me. Um, and Shakiri has been left out of that squad. I think he was left out of a 20 uh, friendly on the Sunday. I don't think he's been training since. Um, so you wouldn't talk about him. And I think in midfield we're still one short. Um, I know you've, 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 you've see three on the screen there. You see three that, you know, in Henderson, Thiago and Fabinho that can come back in. But, of those three on the screen right there in front of you, Jamie, one is 36, um, and the other two are notorious for being injured. So if, if everything goes, and this isn't me being over the top over last season, if everything goes to form, you're going to be left with the three that weren't in the squad at the weekend. Curtis Jones, who's still young, okay? James Milner, which makes five, and the other two that you're hoping stay fit. Now, if they stay fit, that's great. But for me, that's where they're not deep enough. That's where they're not deep enough and we're taking one of them, you'd say fine. Two of them, you're kind of going, I think it, I think it's too much of a stretch. So I'd, I'd rather put an insurance policy in there and for simply for the sake of numbers and quality. Opposite. You don't want to just sign anybody, but for the sake of numbers and quality, I think I think one more is needed in midfield and most certainly one up front. I got into an interesting debate and I'll come to you on this, Phil, around squad depth uh, with Phil Blundell this week from the Anfield Rap and he made a couple of uh, interesting points and we'll pull them up on, on the screen and he very much spoke around, we were talking about obviously the quality that we have but also, like Gav says, the scars have run deep from last season in terms of the injuries that we had and Phil made the point that you know you could argue you could put five different players into Saturday's team and it improves, maybe six if you rate Gomez more than Matip uh, he, he seems to think that people are either paranoid by injuries or scarred by last season or underrating the players and wanting more from them than is required. And on his next tweet, he makes a point, and this is what I come, want to come to you on, Phil. If we don't see the type of injuries that we did, like last season, to key players, so that I mean to the structure of the side, like a Van Dijk, uh, you know his centre back partners Henderson and Fabino, who like I, I class them as our spine. If they're in the team, everything will be will, will be solid, and you can interchange the people around him. But he, Phil made the point in the week. He said, um, you know, we, the expectations on the likes of let's say an Ox or a Naby Keita, people talk like they need to be amazing when they don't. They just need to be decent, and I think that's the key point for me. Is if we're able to keep a likes of a Henderson or Fabino in the side or a Van Dyke and the impact that has, it takes the pressure off Naby and Ox and Curtis Jones. They don't have to fix a team like they probably did last season when they came in. They can just come in and do a good job and get us through a chunk of games. Yeah, and Oxley chamberlain obviously one asset he has is he has that ability to score goals and he didn't, he had one chance where he, he blazed it over the bar Um you know, he was actually quite good without the ball. There was a there was a stage where Trent Alexander Arnold had pushed up and Oxley Chamberlain had pulled into the right back position. So you got your dream there. You got to see the Ox playing as a right back, Jamie. <laughs> You're and never gonna let me live that down, yeah, are you? <laughs> no. But also as well, there was one stage where Norwich broke and Oxley Chamberlain was the one that basically got back and stalled it a bit where Liverpool could get back into shape. So I would agree with Phil's points there in terms of they don't have to be 10 out of 10 performances or lighten it up. They just have to be fit and available. And 
obviously the more games they play, you know, the more confidence they get where Oxley Chamberlain then starts getting on the ball and he starts, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a shot here from 30 yards out, which is one of his signatures where we know he can score goals. But I would agree with Gav that the the midfield and the attack are the two positions that I worry about. Obviously, if the front four as it is now, with obviously Jada added to the the famed front three, if something happens to one of them, then you're short because Origi, Shakiri, we don't even know if they're going to be there. Minamino is still at the club, but is he a realistic option? Think about later in the season, the the players that go off to the Africa Cup of Nations. Now, they might only be gone for three league games, but three league games, that's nine points to play for. And if you don't have them, that could be crucial in the grand scheme of things. So I am still hopeful that there's going to be at least one signing made before the end of the transfer window. But obviously it very much depends on players going out. But I would be hoping that they get rid of some of the players that you just know don't really have a future at Liverpool anymore. What are they doing there? They were there at pre-season. Like, you know, you were watching Origi playing a pre-season and, you know, it was great when he was on fire and obviously he was the hero in the Champions League, but he's so far off that now and he obviously missed a penalty in pre-season. You think back to, like, obviously it's Burnley this weekend. You think back to the Burnley game last season at Anfield. He's wow, played in one-on-one. And at no stage did I actually fancy him to score. And he shot so early. Yeah, he shot so early. Like he actually could have brought the ball in about another six or seven yards, but he had no confidence. So he shot early, hit the bar, and obviously we know what happened. Liverpool lose the game. But yeah, it's uh, we obviously haven't included Harvey Elliott in terms of the, the squad. So that, you know, that's that's a big bonus. Team, and he team Harvey, big big yeah. Harvey fan here. Yeah, and he he got he got some game time at the weekend, which is great. We're going to see more of him. But, yeah, I, I can understand why everyone is absolutely bricking it when some of these injuries don't even happen during games. You know what happened last season where the rumours come in and they're like, Jesus, another rumour. And the rumours always turn out to be true. You remember the, the talk before the Ajax games, like, Alisson's out. And all of a sudden we're thinking Adrian's in goal. It was a massive game. Obviously Klopp took a gamble. He went for Kelleher and Kelleher hasn't really looked back since. But... Those injuries that are happening, they're, they're muscular injuries. I'm looking at that three-man midfield that you put up in the graphic, and I'm already in my head thinking, who's going to get injured first between Kate and Oxley chamberlain <laughs> That's, think, just, that's I, just the way we think, though. It is the way you think because it's based on actual hard facts. It's not yeah. like, you know, um, oh, if he gets injured and you're talking about a fella that's missed three games in three years. It's hard facts. It's That's simply what it is. And it's I don't think it's an overreaction. If you lose Ox and Kate, and you say to me, the others will stay fifth for the rest of the season, I still want another midfielder in. For the simple reason is, if you lose both of them, okay? Now, Harvey Elliott, I think he's a fantastic prospect, but I'm not throwing him in and I'm not relying on him in a run-in for Liverpool. I don't think it's fair on him. Um, for, for, well, just not fair on him. You don't have to go any further than that. It's the same way with Curtis Jones last year. I think he took too much, I think he took too much abuse and there was too much... Um, he was under too much of a microscope for me as a young player in what shouldn't have been his breakthrough season. It should have been a betting in season and there was a lot put on him. All right. But if, if you tell me that Henderson, uh, Milner, Thiago, Fabinho and Curtis Jones remain fit for the rest of the season, I still want another midfielder because the rest of the season you're hoping is going to run to somewhere close to 60 games. And I don't care if they stay fit. You can't run them for 60 games. 
You simply can't. Not five of them over all, all those competitions or the two major ones. You know, the, the Premier League's 38 games. I think the, the Champions League is 13 if you win it. If you do anything in the League Cup and the FA Cup, you're close to 60 games. And that's why I want... It's the same with the centre-back situation. You know, I wanted a centre-half in for an insurance policy against something going wrong. You can deal with it, but you need some sort of insurance. And that's where I think a lot of people are getting frustrated over Liverpool haven't signed anybody um, in midfield yet. And I understand the frustrations. Now, I don't go as far as saying, you know, John W. Henry's yacht should be taken off Albert Dock and never allowed back in. But what, I'm saying, what I am saying is that I understand the frustration in, in the fact that it's cold, hard facts with two of those midfielders and a 36-year-old, and an 18 year or 17 and 18-year-old, and a 20-year-old, you know, and and in a captain that's 30, 31 that has had injuries. You've got Fabinho that, you know, gets them the odd time. And as I said, Thiago, can, you don't know what's going to happen. So for me, I think when people get frustrated, I understand them. So going back to the original thing, Jamie, the squad depth is okay. It's deep-ish. But I think two more players, i.e. forward and midfielder, makes it deep. Keith, I want to come to you before we move on to some stuff around uh, narratives that have come come out in the media. And I couldn't do the show tonight without a quick shout out for Mo Salah. Um, and I, I t- we've got a graphic that I've seen in the week there and it's comparing uh, Mo Salah to Cristiano Ronaldo across the similar number of games. Yeah. And when you look at the numbers, it's it's actually criminal how much this guy is uh, underrated. So Cristiano Ronaldo, 292 games, uh, 118 goals. Mo Salah's hit 118 goals in 186 games. I mean, not. I'm actually running out of words on how to describe just how good this fella is. Not only is he scoring breathtaking goals, he's affecting games, the assist at the weekend was absolutely top notch. It looks like he's he's got a good relationship with Mane again. All that nonsense talk in the in the media has, has firmly been put to bed. We'd we'd be lost without Mo Salah. He is he is something special, isn't he? He really is. He really is. And you know, to compare him with Ronaldo, and some will say it's unfair because Ronaldo was eighteen when he went to Manchester United. But still, you know, he was he was eighteen and he was thrown in. He was given the number seven short. There wasn't some bum that he picked up off the streets, and we're looking at one for the future. He was brought in basically to replace Beckham, and he was putting the team straight away. And when you look at that, it's not like he done it in you know six fewer games or ten fewer, like substantially fewer games. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. We spoke about Van Dijk earlier about comparing. Uh, Ruben Diaz and Manchester United fans run to compare Harry Maguire and now Rafael Varane and City fans on with Laporte and now Diaz it's always compared to Liverpool players Trent is another perfect example oh come outside Aaron Wan-Bissaka has done a cross <laughs> today come outside and have a scrap you know what I mean all this nonsense and Van Dijk uh, Salah is the exact same it's you know Harry Kane is the top scorer in the Premier League in the last three years when you take Mo Salah's goals out, you know, all this shit, you know what I mean? If it wasn't for Mo Salah, such and such would be this. If it wasn't for Mo Salah, such and such Only Mo. I think it's only, only Mo, Mo is the tagline. Yeah. yeah, It's crazy, like, the, the things he's doing. And look, we can all be critical. I've been very critical of his play at times, thinking, you know, he's not ruthless enough. And when I think about it and I sort of sit back and think, he's not ruthless enough. He's fucking banging in goals left, right and centre. And he, he misses so many chances. 
<laughs> and he's not ruthless enough. And I'm like, you're being a blatant gobshire here, Keith. What are you talking about? <laughs> the fella is absolutely sensational. He's going in. The, the numbers that he's doing are just absolutely criminal. But what we're seeing over the, I think over the last year, what we're seeing is the unselfishness of Salah. It's, it's always sort of being decent that, you know, his assist numbers are decent enough, but we're seeing the unselfishness in the last year, I think, his assists, the type of assists, the trail balls that he's putting in. You know, it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely scandalous what this fella is doing. And we'd all replace him tomorrow. You know, give me Erling Haaland. Yeah, you can have Salah. Give me Kylian Mbappe. Yep, Salah. Klopp said it well giving players new contracts you know we're giving these guys new contracts because if you try to sign them they're going to cost you know you're talking about the 100 million plus so we have a player there that we're going to try and tie down to it so I don't think I don't think he gets the respect I'm going to say I don't think he gets the respect he deserves I think he's underappreciated even by Liverpool fans and it's, it's mad to say it out loud it's mad to think it I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves Phil one thing we could probably do without with Salah is his uh, annoying agent who likes to rear his head every now and then and put out his not so cryptic tweets. He needs to work on them a little bit. Um, but, you know, maybe there is an underlying point in some of his, his tweets in that, you know, Liverpool have been securing the contracts of, of other senior players. It looks, if the rumours are to be believed, that Mo isn't far away from penning a new deal. It'll be just rewards for a player who fundamentally has, has changed the trajectory, I would say, along with Van Dijk and Alisson, the you know, the the future of Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, I mean not bad for a Chelsea reject as the, the <laughs> day that Liverpool signed him, I people were reminding me it was a Chelsea reject. And I, I said, Well, I actually just think he's an exciting player that Liverpool have signed from Roma who who was banging in goals for Roma, but he's been absolutely sensational, obviously scoring in the opening game for the last five years and actually speaking of ruthless towards the end he tried to lay on a pass for Mane and you were thinking I was so shocked that he did that that was I've never seen him do anything like that yeah yeah and actually when he scored his goal obviously it came off the back of the the crowd singing his name because he had he had made that roll in behind and they'd won the corner which led to the goal and it was almost like they they were urging him right you've you know you've played well he looked sharp now is your time to score brilliant finish but, you know, maybe we read too much into it, but you look at Mane coming over to him with a smile. Van Dyke was delighted for him. And, yeah, I think maybe part of the problem with Mo Salah and maybe why some people underappreciate him, you mentioned the agent, but there was a few quotes as well about Real Madrid and, Marcus. you know, the, the interview in Spain. And, and that stuff doesn't help, especially if you think of last season was horrendous for Liverpool and you know at the time it was something Liverpool could have done without but do you know what everyone just looked in better form better mood at the weekend and those comments will be quickly forgotten and he'll sign his new contract Jordan Henderson will sign his contract and Liverpool have tied down all their influential players and it's just about building and trying maybe to add a few more players and then We'll see what happens between now and the end of the season. But certainly, I've no problem if people don't want to talk up Liverpool because I suppose, like we've touched on, people are still looking at the what happened last season. So there is a little bit of a concern that the same thing could happen. I would be surprised, touch wood, if it did happen again, given the fact they've had a pre-season 
and this is a proper season now. This isn't the equivalent of, you know, pedestrian football. This is, we, we got our football back at the weekend. So um, I, I think it makes for an exciting season ahead. Perfect segue from Phil there. It's nearly like he's read read my agenda because I want to talk about the media writing uh, Liverpool off, and I'm going to come to you on this, Gav, because uh, there was a th- there was a graphic that went round uh, a few days ago, and basically it was the BBC right asking all of their pundits who did they think was going to be in the top four, and it blew me away. And this isn't me with my, my Liverpool rose tinted glasses, which I sometimes can be rightly accused of of wearing. You, look, there's, there's the graphic on the screen. I'm going to guess there's what nearly 20 uh, in and around 20 pundits that they've asked, and not one of them, not one of them, had Liverpool winning the league. I think three of them had Liverpool come in second. Majority seems to have Liverpool come in fourth. What, am I missing something here, Gav? Because Liverpool came third with Ragas Rovers as an eleven for the majority of the season. They were missing arguably some of their best players. Basically, everything that could break, broke last season. Liverpool now, and they still managed to come third, right? They were top pre-December. Uh, they went on an unbelievable run at the end of the season where they got they they basically didn't drop points for whatever it was, the final nine game. I don't know. Uh, they, they were they were unbelievable towards the, the running. What is going on with these pundits? Why Why is this happening? And yeah, I agree with Phil. It suits Liverpool to be underdogs. But were you similar to me? You looked at this and thought, something's not right there. Why are we being so, um, uh, why are we being ignored? Mm, you shouldn't have asked me with cans on me. Um, <laughs> That's go. exactly why I asked you. <laughs> um, yeah. Jermaine Beckford just wants to fucking have a, have a word of himself for a start, yeah. right? Uh, he's down. The, did Jermaine Beckford it. have a spell at everything? He did, yeah. Yeah, well, that did, explains yeah. it all, right? Um, <laughs> Pat Nevin, um, I think you know him, um, Phil. Yeah, um, he's, uh, you know, yeah, Pat, ne- well, Pat yeah. Nevin wouldn't admit if Liverpool won a coin toss, for fuck's sake, so disregard him. <laughs> um, Michael Brown, <laughs> come on. Clinton Morrison, what? Um, Jesus you know, there's, there's so many of them there where I just go, look, come off it, you know, the sort of way. Like, not one of them to pick Liverpool to win the league. It, it I said earlier it, the the injuries to Liverpool, um, you know the scars run deep for some fans. It obviously runs deep for these as well, um, because I, I don't know I don't know what other clubs have done, right? If you can if you can put so much value on Grealish, Sancho, Varane, okay, and um, this was done before Lukaku, by the way. I think this was done before Lukaku, right? If you can put so much value on them coming in, why can't you put so much value on Liverpool getting the players back? That's my that's my only question to most of these people. You know, they watch the Liverpool team, basically this Liverpool team, um, with um, when you add in Canate, Jota, and Thiago to it, and Lewis Wijnaldum, I think, um, absolutely take this league asunder, um, from the very very start, and because of a couple of injuries. Basically, they're saying, and they just keep saying, oh, well, he mightn't play every game and he might get injured. Yeah. And Sancho might get injured. And Varane and Lukaku and Kevin De Bruyne and Grealish and whoever, all, all of them could get injured. Nobody knows what's going to happen. You have to take it on face value that Liverpool have a fit squad, right? A fit squad. And that's the squad they have. And you go from there. And I, I, I'm, listen, they're entitled to their opinion, but I'm absolutely amazed that they've asked those 20 people. And nobody has come back with Liverpool because they're simply looking going, oh, the loads of injuries last season. There's no other way around it. 
There's no other way around it. There's no. I haven't seen an argument from anybody to say, well, you know, um, Salah's getting on a bit, or Matt. There's, there's been no footballing sense behind it. No. It's just been. I've looked up how many injured he had last season. This is a Liverpool side with all them injuries last season that came toward. They finished five points behind, behind Manchester United, who've added Sancho and Varane, and we've added Van Dijk, Matip, Canate, you know, Thiago. We've added all these players back in. So I, I just, I don't get it, Jamie. I don't. Um, but look, that that's just the way it goes. They're asked these questions, and half the time, that, this is why I don't watch build-up and after-match shows, because it's, it's literally just trying to... Um, trigger people that's all like that they're trigger not people like us. yeah, yeah they, they don't really trigger me i just i'd like to have a, a chat with them but you know it's it's one of those where on them. it's 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 you know when i watch some punditry i'm kind of going oh, even when i do watch it i kind of think to myself you're not actually giving an opinion here there's no way you're giving this opinion here yeah i know what you're saying and i know what you're doing and a lot of people fall for it i just want to say though aaron did put in a super chat and there's more super chats i have stored for the, the end of the show because they just weren't relevant at the time but um i think the comparison with, is a bit of fair with ronaldo when he left the premier league when he was 24 i think that's fair um i don't really compare salah to anybody i just look and go he's 160 or 70 goal what what did he call them? Goal involvements in two hundred odd games, and it's just phenomenal. Yeah. I I don't really compare him. He's, he's a Liverpool player, and he's brilliant. But um, Ronaldo was deadly as well. In fairness to him, yeah, but he wasn't some kid who left before we. Ronaldo wasn't some young fella. He was twenty four, but he was sort of tearing the arse out of the league. So in some ways, it is a fair enough comparison. In fairness, before we move off this, um, Gav, you used to say this all the time. A lot of these characters will be, you know pundits and ex-players, right, and they'd be the same age as ourselves or a little bit older or a little bit younger in one of our cases, but uh, they would have grown up with Liverpool in the leagues. <laughs> I don't want to say, I don't want to insult you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, now, um, they, I'm the oldest on here, I'd say, so it could be me. Um, but they, they grew up with Liverpool dominating in the 80s and the 70s and all that, and they, they sort of relished the, the demise of Liverpool you know what I mean? And the, the fear of Liverpool getting back to the top, I think, stings a lot of the, the names on that list. And I think a lot of pundits are ju- the true colour showed, you know what I mean, when they jumped in to say Liverpool are done, Liverpool are dusted. And I think it's great. I think Klopp is delighted with this, that one out the underdogs and we're being rowed off and Jermaine Beckford doesn't think we'll finish top four. It's great. Phil, out of curiosity, if you were to do something similar with the, the lads and ladies at Off The Ball, do you think it'd be a we similar type? Oh, did you? We did. We what did. Pa- what was, the, what was the result? <laughs> no, we, we, no we, I just, I, I, my one, no, no one's going for Liverpool. Look, the way I look at it, and I, I don't think necessarily it's a slight on Liverpool. I think that Pep Guardiola has spent almost a billion, right? Like, the way I look at it, City should be winning the league every year. I mean, if they don't, then it's a failure. So, it, and it, do you know what? If, if Liverpool obviously beat them to the league title a couple of seasons ago, that just shows how good Klopp and the team were, that they could actually absolutely kill them in a title race. They had them dead and buried by January. So, I can see with Chelsea, obviously, they won the Champions League. Are they thinking Chelsea are on that? similar trajectory to what Liverpool did mm. where they win the Champions League and now they've signed Lukaku. Now, Lukaku's been banging in goals for Inter, but then I hear Tuchel saying last week, yeah, you know, we've lost Giroud, but now we've got Lukaku who who can be that target man. 
Has nobody watched Lukaku? He's a terrible target man. Yeah. His second, he's like a trampoline when the ball is played into him. You have to, you have to give the ball in when he gets the ball at his feet and he's running at you. That's has to be facing goal. Absolutely, and yeah. then he's scary. If he's if he's running, it, he's an absolutely scary prospect. Manchester United, yeah, they signed Sancho and Varane, but they still have problems in midfield. But I can see why people are thinking. Yeah, Liverpool may have peaked when they won the league, so they're afraid to think that they can get back to those levels. So I, I can understand why people aren't picking Liverpool, and maybe a lot of people feel like they were burnt by Liverpool last season because a lot of people went for Liverpool. I went for Liverpool last season, and I was made look a right mug. So this time I said, Do you know what? I'll put down City this time, and if they don't win, and Liverpool, who I put second, win, then I don't really care. <laughs> oh, I love the reverse psychology. I love it. I love it. Um, right, we got uh, we got two things that I want to finish on, um, the, and this is something that we're gonna. So before we come to predictions for for the Burnley game at the weekend, uh, we're gonna try something uh, do something each week where everybody on the show will give us who they believe to be their winners and losers of the game week. Um, you can pick a player, fans. You can pick anybody that you want, and give us the reasons as to why they are winners and losers so Gav I'm going to come to you first because you've been looking forward to this bit mate I can see the the grin in your face yeah (laughs) what do you want who's your winner who's your winner go Paul Pogba Um, because what's going on with him and Graham Souness is fucking comical Um, (laughs) you know people literally if Paul Pogba does anything nobody wants to even watch the goals or the assists they just want to ring Graham Souness and ask him what he thinks of it and Souness just goes I'm not fucking talking about him it's it's absolutely insane but Paul Pogba I think is the winner of the weekend Um, I thought he was very very good you know I I really did I thought he was very very good And, and don't get me wrong I think Leeds were literally played right on midfield I think for all the credit Bielsa gets I think he was so naive going in there on, at the weekend, you know, so naive the, the way he goes in and he just, he was letting his midfield be overrun and, and against any side in the Premier League, if you, if your midfield gets overrun, teams have quality to hold you, you know, especially if they're getting through a midfield so easy, but Pogba is a really, really, really good player, you know, Fernandez for all the abuse he gets and rightfully so at times, he's a good footballer. You know, and, and you know, they, they have got good footballers that will hurt you given time. And I think, you know, when you see United struggle, it's because they're not given time, it's because they're hurried, it's because they're outworked. And Leeds done none of that. And and Bielsa was very naive and, and he gets a lot he gets loads of plaudits um for the style of football he plays, but I fear for them if he continues the way he's going on. Because a bit like when teams you know when teams come up and they catch you by surprise and they get maybe two towards of a season now, and people start to cop them, but they'll survive and they'll be fine. And the next season, they struggle badly. Sheffield United, Sheffield United come up and surprised everyone and were flying. They were, I think they were fifth in the league going into, before the lockdown. Do you remember they were? They were really flying and then they just fell apart with the last eight games of the season and, and finished 11th or 12th and then everyone copped them and they were appalling and they knew what way they were going to play them and they watched them and they figured them out. And I think it might be the same for for Leeds. But um, overall, I just thought, as poor as Leeds were, Pogba still had to do what he'd done, and he'd done it. And he'd done it very well. And I think it showed that if you give him space, he can hurt you. There's no doubt about that. And he was given space, and he did hurt him. And I thought, over the weekend, I think Salah was brilliant. Um, there was other good performances over the weekend as well. But I thought, you know, given the chance, he, he took about the scruff of the neck, and that was Paul Pogba for me. 
And I have to say, before we go on to your loser of the week, which I know you're looking forward to, I think for me, you know, it's easy to throw to throw mud at Paul Pogba at times, but the quality of his passing, like mm-hmm. it, it, you know, as you said, if you give him time, the ability that that lad's got, and s- some of the balls that he played in uh, were, were absolutely exceptional. So, so I agree, that's a good shout. Now, Gav, go on, mate, take the floor. Oh, no, go on, no, go no, on, Keith. I'm not letting the BL to slander go. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot you were on. Talk it away with that. <laughs> I think Leeds will be fine this year because I think Bielsa yeah. played the exact same way last season. He got humped at Old Trafford. Mm. He'll go in naive in all the away games against the big teams when they get beaten and he will slaughter the, the shit teams below them. The top four or five teams will bounce off Leeds, I think, in their home games. But Leeds will pick up points. He doesn't change how he plays. So it wasn't a surprise the way he went in. I, hear, I get what you're saying. Like the, the, the selection that left him a bit exposed. But I just think that's how he's going to play it. I don't think, I don't think Bielsa... Yeah, but if, if he doesn't change it at all, Keith, you're giving, you're giving decent sides a year's case walk to oh, look I know, at. You know, the sort of way. At, like Calvin Phillips to come back into the midfield and, you know, players will come back in that mm. weren't in there. So I just think, you know, it was all, as much as it pisses me off, and it must piss Leeds fans off with the fact that United and their big rivals, I just think that's the way he plays. And I think they'll be doing enough against the other team. So I'm not having Bielsa slander. We'll leave it at that because we've a show to get through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you're just going to have a big row. <laughs> Ellen Rowe as well. Ellen Rowe. Yeah, be, Ghost says yeah, there, yeah. yeah, it will. Be absolutely, like my dad's a Leeds fan. And I said, look, we have to go to Ellen Road this season to see them play before Bielsa leaves because the place will be absolutely hopping. Yeah, yeah the Premier League is will, definitely, yeah, be, definitely better for, for, yeah. for Leeds and, and, and a packed Ellen Road. Yeah, it's, it's uh, picked up emotions, isn't it? That they've held for for a year now, and it's it's yeah. gonna it's gonna everything. Fourth game, yeah, exactly. Yeah, can be Lovely. Come on, Bielsa. <laughs> <laughs> After all that, <laughs> so so come on, Gav, give us your loser of the week. It's Arsenal Football Club, um, and I think you know <laughs> if we do. Are we doing? Are we making this a regular thing? No, every yeah, week, we mate. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. You can well, pick Arsenal You can probably just record this and just um, I can go for a smoke next week when when it's Arsenal <laughs> yeah, again. Um, <sighs> I, I've always said it on this podcast, and people know I'm intrigued by Arsenal because for me, when I was growing up, you know, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, um, yeah. were the three big ones, and and they were a very classy club, Arsenal. And you know, they didn't play the prettiest football, but who cared? We didn't play the prettiest football on the Gerard Hulia and won three trophies in a season, Arsenal won games and then when you seen them bringing Ian Wright and stuff in the early 90s you went oh yeah he's Ian Wright was brilliant I loved him everything about him but when you watch them now 50 million quid on Ben White is fucking madness and I don't care what anybody says it's it's madness alright um, they went they went to buy Basuma and came back with Ben White that's what happened Um they were linked. They've been linked with, as I said, Basuma. They've signed a couple of players, and now they've gone back in for Ramsdale now. Yeah, thirty yeah, million for Ramsdale is just off the charts mental. Um, you, you know, like if I said to you, they clearly have twenty-four million plus six million add-ons around to spend on a goalkeeper. He's not in the first fifty, I think of. <laughs> you know, and, and and they let Martinez go just to add. <laughs> but the Martinez thing was over Leno, so that's that that that's a kind of just a, an afterthought for me. But but when I watched them. I watched the game on Friday night because mainly because it was Arsenal's fourth day of the season and it was Brentford and I knew. <laughs> I just fucking knew. But when you watch them and he's still doing it, he's still standing on the fucking sideline looking at random things in the stadium. 
instead of watching what's going on in the pitch. Nice stadium. He's not fit to be the, 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 the manager of Arsenal Football Club. I'm going to say it now. And you get beaten at the weekend, I think. And he should be sacked. It's as simple as that. Because what, I don't know what he's building. I don't know what he's trying to do. They don't look like they've any shape. He's handed a young flip, the number 10 short, who's really good, by the way. But he's basically put Ben White at 50 million to be his main man at centre-half. And he's made um, Emil Smith-Rowe as number 10. Okay? And he's going to damage them two players for me. He's going to damage them in a big, big way. And now, after all the talk of this player and that player, he's gone back for Martin um, Odegaard. He's going to spend a load of money on Odegaard. So he has no vision. He has no vision. If he had a vision, he would have signed Odegaard last season. But he brought him in on loan because he couldn't get anybody else. And what does he do? He's all summer to do what he wants and he goes back and he signs Odegaard. It's, they're a shambles, Jamie. They're an absolute shambles. And I, I don't like Chelsea winning most weeks, but I hope that you absolutely hop off Arsenal at the weekend because the quicker the, this club comes to their senses um, is the better, in my opinion. He was so, he was given the job as a PR exercise and that's all it was because he has no credentials as a football manager, none. I don't care if he wrote the fucking team sheet for Man City every week and went into the referee's room and done everything all week. He has no credentials to be the manager of Arsenal Football Club. and that's I, I always seem to get really annoyed over this because I do see Arsenal as a classy big club and I just look at them and go, what in the name of Jesus are you doing? And they don't know is the answer. So Arsenal are the losers this week and tune in next Wednesday when Arsenal will be the losers next week as well. <laughs> Do you know when you know when we finish the shows and we're like, oh yeah, I wonder what section we can clip of this show. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think yeah. we've just <laughs> yeah. I think we've just got four minutes of gold. Yeah, clip that and send it to um troops. <laughs> and um we'll have a discussion on it. He'll probably agree with me though, in fairness. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Uh, Phil, I'm going to come to you next. Winners and losers, please. Well, I go on the opposite side of Gav in terms of the other involvement in that Arsenal game and Brentford because obviously Brentford back in the top flight for the first time in 74 years. Place was absolutely hopping. It just, it, I was absolutely buzzing watching the game because that atmosphere, the, the build-up before the game, the performance as well. They're a very well-run club. They play good football, but they show they can mix it up as well. And you only have to look at the, the second goal. Yeah, it was a brilliant. Classic, classic throw in. If you if you only switched on, you'd be thinking you were watching Stoke from a few years ago <laughs> under Tony Pulis, a red and right striped team. <laughs> exactly. Red and right striped team putting it in the mixer from a throw in, causing Arsenal all sorts of problems. And even if you think of the, the Norgard goal, Going back to what you were saying about Arsenal, not one of those Arsenal players complained about the foul on Leno. Not one of them went to the referee to even put a seed of doubt in the official's mind to say, actually, we should check that. Because Pontus Janssen basically wrestled Leno up against the post and nobody appealed it. And that's going back to why Arsenal are just so weak. But in terms of Brentford, of the three that came up, we were asked to pick our relegation candidates as well. I, I think Norwich are going to go back down. They seem to be quite happy to to accept that. Way too naive. Watford, yeah, Watford, they had a good win. They, they, they counter-attacked Villa very well. Brentford, I would have a bit of hope for because they show that they can play a few different ways. I like Thomas Frank. Uh, I thought Ivan Tony just, he looked at Arsenal the other night and he thought, I'm going to bully you. And yeah. And Burma as well, the same. They just they got on top of Arsenal. Once they got the goal as well, the old Liverpool connection, Sergi Canos with the, the first goal of the season. And the place is absolutely rocking. Grown men crying because they've never seen Brentford play in the top flight. So I just thought, 
they had to be the winners of the weekend. Um, because they, they had me on Hey Jude, Phil. I'll be honest. Once that stadium <laughs> oh, yeah. was rocking with Hey Jude, I was like, I'm a Brentford fan now. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> to be honest, I was watching the the Super Cup last night, thinking if if Liverpool side belly them, belly them. Hey Jude would be would be every oh, week. Oh yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> he happens to be a bloody good player as well. Yeah. Loser. Who's your loser? Harry Kane. This is absolutely. Oh, hold on. Go on, hold on. Right, this I'm is where I take any packed lunch now. <laughs> so, can we all Harry... have a go with this? <laughs> <laughs> so Harry Kane is obviously the dar- the darling of English football. Um, the guy has been diving for years. This is even before Mourinho got hold of him and told him to be streetwise. This is before he he had his little trick of where he backs into you and he he nearly breaks your back and he gets a free or a, a penalty in this. When, when you think back to the Lallana incident last season, um, you know he declares himself fit for a Champions League final, the biggest game in the club's history for probably in the club's modern history anyway yeah uh, clearly wasn't fit we know as liverpool fans when we saw kane was starting in madrid that night you may as well light the cigars this game is done and um, you know you think back of even the the time that he tried to claim that goal off christian erickson he uh yeah. he, he swore on his kid's life it was like jesus christ like just to, just to win the golden boost. And, wait, wait. Um, you never swear on your kids' lives. No. Yeah. No. You Even if you think them. you can get away with it. Yeah. Even if you yeah. don't like the kid. You know, yeah. you just don't swear on the life. No. And then, obviously, he's decided, I want to get out of Spurs. He did his little PR exercise with Gary Neville on the golf course before the Euros. If you look at the players that played for England at the European final, Himself and Henderson were the only ones not involved. But obviously, we know Henderson carried an injury into the Euros. And there he is today posting a picture that he's training on his own. He hasn't travelled with the Spurs squad to play the Europa Conference League qualifier tomorrow night in Portugal. And then, to rub salt in the wound, the team that he wants to join are beaten by his current team, who showed they didn't need him. And the whole stadium is chanting his name but not in the way that he's used to and that also Tanganga got the Harry Kane treatment or the old Harry Kane treatment where they sang about him being one of their own so an absolute shit show of a weekend for Harry Kane it's been a PR disaster his brother has made an absolute hames of it had he ever heard of a release clause gentleman's gentleman's agreement it reminds me of when you used to watch those VHS's and your man used to say oral contract not worth the paper it's printed on yeah. and he's now in a situation where he's probably going to have to come back with his tail between his legs and play for Spurs and or tell Spurs he, publicly he wants to live and then he this is your this is your issue isn't it Gav is that he hasn't he, he yeah. just hasn't got the balls to say yeah it. because it's Harry Kane well is all about ego and legacy Harry yeah. Kane wants to sit there and say nothing until Daniel Levy gives up. And Daniel Levy, as much as people hate him, and if you're, as I said the other night, if you're a Liverpool fan and Liverpool are trying to sign whoever off sports, you're thinking Daniel Levy is a prick. He will not let this go. But you're not. You're watching it going on with Man City. So you think fair play to Levy. He'll get his number. Whatever number he has in his head, he's going to get for Harry Kane. And Harry Kane is hoping to sit there, say nothing and say, well, the club accepted a bid for me and I left. When the reality... He just should come out and say, I want to join Manchester City. 
because we all know what's going on here. But he's afraid to lose the legacy. The legacy's gone already. The interview with Gary Neville, the legacy was was on its knees. And the fact that the compound that Gary Neville is going around doing road shows and any other show he can get on and trying to talk about how Harry Kane is great. Just he's ambitious. It's just it's, it's actually it's actually more damaging. Gary Neville opening his mouth and defending Harry Kane is more damaging than Gary Neville saying nothing. Um in for Harry Kane. It's just tell them you want to live. Fuck the legacy, um, because you're going for the money and you're going to try win trophies. The legacy, I mean, fuck all. You'll get a legacy at sea. You know, to be forty of them outside the ground when you sign, and there'll to be loads of balloons and stuff. Do you know what I loved about that? How much Phil enjoyed saying all those things about Harry Kane. You could see the smirk yeah. in well, his face. I'll tell, tell you why, you know, because for years in the office, I've been saying this about Harry Kane, and people think. Jesus, it's amazing how angry you get about Harry Kane. Like, you know, he's a, he's a modern professional, great striker. You know, he's he's Captain Kane, and I was like, lads, you're not seeing this. Like. So, <laughs> I think we're starting to see the, the true colours now of yeah. Harry Kane. And look, he's he's a great player and he's a great striker. But if Spurs get the 150 million, take it, reinvest it, let him go to City, and you know, he probably win trophies. But it won't be the same for him. If he had won a trophy at Spurs, if he had won the Champions League at Spurs, that would have meant more to him than three Premier League titles at Man City. But obviously, that's not going to happen with Spurs. They're not going to win titles. But he can go to Man City and that's it. I Personally, I thought before this all happened, I thought he was going to stay at Spurs. He was going to beat Jimmy Greaves' record and he got down as a Spurs legend. But that's gone now. Yeah, yeah. Like Free Worldy says, there, what legacy he hasn't won a sausage, and that's that's fair from Free yeah. Worldy. What I'm saying is, is that in his own mind, he has this huge legacy. He has this yeah. huge legacy of, you know, like like uh, Phil said there, captain, yeah, sports captain. captain you know, captain them into the new ground. You know, scored all these goals, record this and record that, goals wise and seasons and golden boots or whatever. But this is a fella that fucking took his golden boot and something else on holiday with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he took yeah. them out of a bag and started taking pictures of them out of pool. Mad joke he is. So I'd probably do something like that. You Gavard, would. You, would you, know, you, would. Would. you know what I mean? You brought your football boots and your cabin TV jersey down to Santa Park for fuck's sake. But you know, <laughs> but um, it's no, it's like it's it's just insane. And and it, it it basically comes down to lads that Harry Kane will not come out and tell Spurs publicly the fans that he wants to leave the club. So be sitting holding toy, hoping that the club make the move and it makes it easier for him. That's all it is. It's an ego thing. Keith, winners and losers. Um, I'm gonna give me loser for some changing it on the back of sort of the Harry Kane bashing, but it's around something. And I think this was on the agenda. And we didn't speak about it. It's the media narrative that comes out about saying things. So the Harry Kane narrative is, you know, oh, he's a hard worker. Harry Kane came out and done an interview. Oh, I never refused to train with sports. Well. You obviously did because all the sports journalists and all are saying what's happening. So people aren't stupid, you know. But he gets a free ride off the press. We saw Jura Day Jurgen Klopp done a press conference and, you know, spoke about other team spending habits. And, uh, you know, he's saying, you know, Manchester City and Chelsea, we know how they do their business and PSG, Manchester United, I'm not too sure. And certain journalists, I think, ran with this and guys in the Athletic, that cover sport or uh, city and cover uh, cover United, sorry, and cover Chelsea were quick to point out, you know, oh well, Mr. Klopp, this is how you know 
the thing is done. And I just think, you know, it's I watched Klopp's press conference and I sort of grasped what grasped what he was saying in that he was, you know, we all know City and Chelsea have, you know, sugar daddy owners, let's say. But Liverpool and don't and what he said about Manchester United. I took as in, well, they don't have sugar daddy owners. We don't know their business because he's not involved with the club. And you have, is that the thing there, Lordy Whitewell or whatever yeah. comes up when he's there, Mr. Are they Jorgen? This is how we don't need an explanation of how you know you do that business. We know what sort of club Manchester United but, is. Jorgen sorry, Klopp sorry, knows can, what they are. But can I, can I tell you something? They're, they're, it's patronizing for a start. Dear Mr. Yeah. Klopp, this is how Manchester yeah. United do their business, right? And they're nearly bragging about how they do their business, right? And the business that's being done is being done by the owners of that football club, yeah. who in May they protested against and wanted them out of the club, yeah. right? And now they're all they broke into the stadium to protest, and then when they were allowed into the stadium, didn't bring any of their protests with them. Yeah. So for that to, for that sort of patronising bullshit to come in um, from them and, and the way it's written is is unbelievable. To be quite honest with you, you know. I just can't get over what United fans are doing um, with regards to that. And to, to, to say, dear Mr. Klopp, this is how we spend our money and this is how we're great. You know, yeah. um, take them back to May when they're having games called off and protests. But when it comes yeah. to August, they won't bring... There was no green and gold. It must have been red day um, Old Trafford at the weekend. <laughs> I love it though, because he's triggering... He's, He's triggering all the right people, though, isn't he, Keith? You know, yeah. and and I don't even think he meant to. I think it's just been misinterpreted, and the Athletic exactly. have, have probably ran with it and tried to drive clicks, however, however they can. Yeah, that that's what it is, and it's you know, look, I know journalism, and we have Phil on who's who's connected with this sort of stuff, right? But they, it's it's all clicks now; it's all clickbait, and they yeah. took comments that were made by Jurgen Klopp. You know, he's not an English. You know, he's not a natural English speaker. He's a German. It's a second language. And like I said, I could understand what he was trying to say. And maybe I'm wrong, you know, but I listened to it and I took it, what he meant. And yet they're all diving on it because they're trying to deflect away. You know, Chelsea, I think Chelsea are a great run club, to be honest. They buy these young fellas, send 68 of them out on loan every year and then sell them for mad money. Then they buy them back for 97 million a few years later. I'm not too sure on that. Manchester United do the same with Pogba. But, you know, we don't really care. They, they can't deny. Man City fans get terribly upset about this as well, you know, when you question how they can spend, you know, so many million, yet they they don't sell out their stadium, you know, for Champions League quarterfinals and the likes. You know, it's they get their money. Fair play. That's how they do it. Jurgen Klopp was just trying to point out that, you know, we we have our model. These other teams have their models. Manchester United, he's not sure because he's not a part of that. And they just, just ram it. They just took it and ram it. And it's the media narrative now, it's it's too much click-driven. You don't see enough. And the thing with the Athletic, I'm not trying to dig out the Athletic, right? But when the Athletic came out, it was all moving away from short click pieces. It was all longer, long pieces, you know, long take form. that time, long form, take that time to do the articles and informative stuff. And it was excellent. And I don't know, in the last year, I just think it's it's gone a bit scuttery guttery. So I don't know. I just found what that a saying. I just made it up on the spot there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just found it a bit uh unpleasant and a bit, you know, I can understand fans sort of jumping on these narratives in a way, because fans are tribal and all that. But when you see journalists diving on it, and the, as you said, Gav, the sort of condescending, patronising way of, dear Mr. Klopp, dear Jorgen, this is how we yeah. do 
it's ridiculous and it's just cheap point scoring and I know everyone does it but I just thought that was a bit ridiculous you have that media narrative then you have the Hardy Kane stuff so they're my losers on any way of the week um, my winner is Liverpool fans because I want us all to give ourselves a big pat on the back yeah. because we got Jorgen back we got uh, not Jorgen Virgil sorry we got Virgil back oh, we've we got Jorgen back, back as well, as well. Yeah. yeah we got Jorgen back as well because uh, he was on my list of ones that we, we've got back this year because he didn't have a great year last year forgetting about his personal situation you know it, it was a stressful year stressful year that he had and we have Jorgen back with Virgil back we've got um, you know Matip back we've Trent back we've all these lads we've got our boys back and we forget how good they are and we don't give them enough credit do you know what I mean and my winner Look, Brentford, great show. Story of the weekend is Brentford. We went to Norwich and had a routine 3-0 win. It was great. But to see Virgil back playing, to see Klopp back, to see Alisson back, you know, making important saves in a game when he didn't have too much to do. And not important saves, you know, stupid little flappy saves that he likes to do. I love all that sort of carry on when he's slapping balls out of the air. To see all that, I just think it's great, you know, and it's something that Liverpool fans, look, whatever happens this year, we we can't be entitled to win a league, right? And this is what I say, you have to earn your league title. You can't just go in and say, well, we deserve to win the league as well, Liverpool, my Liverpool fans. You have to go out and win it. And that's the thing Phil touched on earlier. Man City have been winning leagues and it's not unrealistic to pick them again this year. If it wasn't for Liverpool pushing them one year and then winning it the next, it'd be a farmer's league. Do you know what I mean? So we don't appreciate our own team. And I'm hoping we do now. I hope that the fans get back. The fans are back in the stadium. Makes all the difference. Watch the difference in Bobby Firmino this year with, with crowds there. Because he's a player that thrives on the, the crowd, on the atmosphere. And he just looked a shell when he was having to play training matches every week. I just think it's good times coming back for Liverpool. A lot of teams will have a lead. So I think lost out not having their crowd last season. But having air crowd, having air boys back, having Virgil, I think we're the biggest winner of the weekend. And that's just my take on it. Now, learning for next week's show, I definitely need to leave more than 10 minutes for this segment because mm, we've probably yes. done Great <laughs> 20, 25. I'm meant to be watching Love fun. Island here. The minute you said Harry Kane, everyone just went, right, cancel the rest of the night. <laughs> Strap yourselves in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, I'll, I'll keep mine short and sweet because I, I want to get to the predictions before we wrap up and, and secretly that means I want to go and watch Love Course Island that's on record downstairs. Yeah, okay, so I, I think people in the chat think I'm joking. I'm deadly serious. No, he's 100% like, serious. <laughs> if you, it's, if you're, it's getting to the business end you, of Love Island. Shame now. on you if you think he's joking about Love Island. <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, let's get this football stuff out the way so I can get to the real business of Love Island. Um, my winner of the week. Firstly, I want to say tackling. Tackling is my winner. Anybody that ever listens to my pointless rants on Twitter or podcasts know that I love tackling. I love contact in sport and the idea that a tackle, I'm a massive fan of the idea that a tackle can raise a stadium. It can change the direction of a football match. And it broke my heart to see the way that football was moving in that any contact was deemed a foul. You had players throwing themselves all over the pitch. Um, midfield enforcers became players that pulled shirts. It just wasn't the same game for me anymore. And the idea, Stu Mack, mate, Give it a go. You'll love it. I can see the Love you Island abuse coming through. You Give won't. it a go, mate. Uh, You'll don't catch be a white on a later if you watch close enough. <laughs> um, tackling is my first winner. I just, I love the fact that it seems to be coming back into the game and we're getting that contact back and the, the, the crowds are thriving on it. But my second winner, I've kind of picked two and it's just building off what you were saying around slagging off Harry Kane. So I wanted to throw it in. Um, 
Mika Richards. Mika Richards called out, and he's the first pundit to call out the double standards towards Harry Kane. And it was a conversation around Harry Kane missing training and how he was being painted in the media as some type of saint. And he used Paul Pogba as the perfect uh, nemesis to that conversation in that Pogba hasn't stopped training. Pogba's attitude on the pitch, he's delivering on the pitch. Maybe his agent's done some talking. Pogba said nothing. He's got his head down and he's done his job. Yet the narrative, particularly from Sunas and those in the media, is that Pogba is a problem. Yet Harry Kane gets a free pass for ultimately missing Trave and, and, and shafting his club, his boyhood club. Uh, and like Gav says, hasn't got the balls to come out and tell the truth. So, uh, Micah Richards, hat off to you, sir, for being the first person to call out the double standards to St. Harry. My loser. Pep Guardiola. A um, s- couple of reasons why it's Pep. He has somehow, well, actually, my favourite thing in the whole world is rattled Pep Guardiola. I love how fragile he is. Well, he just doesn't He doesn't handle it well. And Klopp had made comments. In fact, it had rattled him that much that Pep was asked a question that wasn't even related at all to Liverpool. And somehow he managed to start talking about Liverpool's spending. When you see Pep no- doing that, you know we're on to something. He's, I'm telling you, and this will co- might come back to bite me on the ass. He's fearful of Liverpool. He's fearful of what we are. He's fearful of what we represent. We are everything that Manchester City aren't. And I too. think, and I think that when he looks at us, we're going to be right back at them this season. And I look, I don't think this is turning into a Kevin Keegan bloody rant here. Actually, I love it. We beat them. We've got to go to Middlesbrough. No, but honestly, I think if we go toe to toe to Manchester City, I don't think they've got the stomach for a fight. And somehow Pep has managed to convince the media that they need to buy 150 million pound striker. This is nonsense. They've spent a billion quid on players. Coach them. Make them better. You don't need to go and buy a hundred and fifty million pound player. Go and buy a fifty million pound and develop him. So yeah, Pep Guardiola. I love seeing him rattled, and long may it continue. So Pep Guardiola is my loser of the week. Now, Love Island time. So let's go around the room and ask predictions for Burnley. And I want two predictions. One, who's going to be the midfield three, and what is the score going to be for the game? And I'm going to come to you first, Phil. Okay, so Fabinho is going to come back in. Um, yeah. I think he might stick with Keita, and I think Milner might hold on to his place as well. I don't know how far Jordan Henderson is away, but that would be it. Watching Burnley against Brighton, one thing. Oh, he went. Oh, he's 92% on his phone. It went. <laughs> yeah, he said 92 minutes. minutes. Yeah. He, had ni- he had 92 minutes left, yeah, and he's bang on. Yeah, <laughs> Would you believe on. it? Right, so we'll, yeah. we'll get Phil's predictions and we'll post them up afterwards. Right, yeah. to be fair, that just means that I get more time to watch Love Island here now because we've got less predictions to get around. So, uh, Keith, I will come to you first. Prediction for the game. Uh, he's just, Phil's just texted us to say battery went. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, uh, prediction for the game and who will start? Oh, Phil said 3-1 to Liverpool. He gave us his prediction. So, Good top stuff. man, Phil. Yeah. Good, Good stuff. stuff. Keith. Good stuff. I agree with Phil's midfield. I think Fabinho comes in and I think Keita and Milner keep their places because I just think uh, other players will be too far. Like Henderson and Thiago, I think, are too far. They need their preseason, and I think they might be a week away or so. So I think it's that midfield as well. Um, and then I think 4-1 to the Reds. Oh, bullish. I love it. Love Gav. 
What about yourself? Um, I think Fabinho comes in. I think Thiago comes in. And I think Keita plays. I think, um, I know where Keith's coming from, but we've Chelsea the week after. And I don't know how many, how many, I don't think he'd be mad about putting, say, Henderson and Thiago in their first game back together. You know, both are first games is what I'm trying to say against Chelsea. I think you'd like to have one of them with a game under that belt. And then maybe bringing a Henderson, you don't know. But you have got Curtis Jones back. You have got, you have Harvey Elliott as an option. Milner, there's loads of options there. But I think I think he takes Milner and Oxley Chamberlain out of that start midfield and he ping, brings in Thiago and Fabinho because I think Burnley are going to sit back and I think we're going to need some creativity and I think Thiago might be the one that will provide that. Along with Keita as well, if he's given the chance. Um, 3-1 Liverpool. I love the optimism. Um, for what it's worth, I agree with you on the midfield, Gav. Uh, I think Fabinho coming back in is the big one. I I, I, do, I doubt you'd see Thiago and Henderson in the, in the starting team at the moment, although the reports say that in the behind-the-closed-doors friendly, the two of them absolutely ripped it up. Um, yeah, I'd go with the same midfield for you. Um, I'd want to see Harvey Elliott get get minutes. I, I'm, I'm going to keep banging this drum. I think the kid's special. Right, I, think um, got, I think you've got a couple of goals up at 20 minutes to go. He gets minutes, and I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For now, I think it is, yeah. but I actually think as we move through the season, I think he's going to find a way to 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 make those twenty minutes become starts, and and I really do think that he can have an impact. I think he's, I really do think he's that special. But yeah, same same midfield as you. Um, I don't think Liverpool concede. Uh, I think you're going to start to see a much more solid uh, Liverpool now. Um, I don't think we'll give away silly goals. Uh, touch wood, commentators curse and all that. I am going to go for a comfortable 2-0 win for Liverpool. So lots of optimism. Lots of optimism in the chat, which I love. Uh, R. Allison just says a 90-0 win for Liverpool. One goal every minute. This is the, this is the type of bullishness I love. I've been going golf in a half time on, on the off chance that we have have it sewn up. Right. That's that's definitely enough from us. Um, uh, before we kind of wrap up, Gab, we have so much content, uh, particularly around match mm. days. We've obviously got match day on Saturday. Uh, what have we got coming up before the end of the week? Uh, today is Wednesday. So tomorrow, Carnage is on. Tomorrow night, I know he's going to have a look around stuff around Liverpool. And obviously, because <laughs> and uh, he's gonna do. I think he's gonna do an actual preview to the Burnley game as well. Um, Friday is Avi's Avi and Connor. They have got a guest on this weekend. Um, this Friday night on in Sports Unplugged. Go and check that out. It was really good. If you're into all different sorts of sports, while having a beer and talking about football at the same time deadly do it on a Friday night from 10 to 11 um, before you head down the pub for last orders or whatever check that out Saturday um, half 11 we're kick off at half 12 aren't we so half 11 we'll have the pre-match show I think it's Chris and Darren on that um, before the game and following the game you'll have Adam and James on um, so it's about 15 minutes after the game ends on Saturday you will have um them two on with the post-match stuff as well and then we're back on Sunday with the Fatback 4 and that feels like a really really fucking quick week by the way and um, <laughs> yeah. it feels like yesterday I'd done the Fatback 4 and I'm talking about doing it again now Fantastic now to be fair the, I have to say the the level of content and I know I'm biased but uh, yeah it's it's definitely gone up this season and, and testament to yourself Gav for, for turning it all around so uh, 
Quick mention to everybody in the chat. Uh, I actually missed you all while I was away last week. I was looking forward to getting back on tonight and chatting with everybody. Loads of messages throughout the week. So thank you for your continued support, not only for this show, but for every one of our shows. We absolutely love the community of people that we're building. And as we say every week, we don't just say it for sound bites. We, we genuinely mean it. It wouldn't be the same without the people in the chat. So if you wouldn't mind being so kind, uh, leave us a like before you go. If you've liked the show, if you don't, tell us why. Uh, leave us comments underneath the video. Let us know what you like. Let us know your thoughts on the show and your thoughts for the season ahead and your predictions for the Burnley game. Just keep your comments coming. We love reading them and it really does give us a boost and and help us get better with the weeks that go by. So with that, I am off to watch Love Island. I am very excited to do so. Um, Please let me know if you love Island fans. Let's have a Love Island chat. I don't mind. I'm all right with that as well. My DMs are open. Uh, Yeah, I love Love Island. Watch watch along. along. (laughs) Can you imagine? Uh, Right. I hope you've all enjoyed the show. Make sure you enjoy the rest of your week and we'll be back with you again next Wednesday on the Midweek Fix. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.